Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. We've been sharing conversations about creativity on this podcast since 2011. In February 2023, we traveled to the Arab Emirates for the first time. We're here to witness and celebrate Sharjah Biennial 15, thinking historically in the present. Four years in the making, the exhibition is ambitious and expansive. More than 100 artists from 70 countries are presenting projects in 19 venues across the Emirate. 70 of those projects are new commissions. The memory and influence of Nigerian-born art historian, author, educator, and curator, Okuyen Wezor, is deeply felt here, despite his physical absence. The Sharjah Art Foundation had invited Nwezer to curate this iteration of the biennial. He envisioned the exhibition title before his death in 2019. Sharjah Art Foundation director Hur Al-Kasimi was 22 years old when she met Okuyen Nwezer and experienced his non-Western curatorial model at Documenta 11 in Kassel, Germany. In Wezar's impactful perspective on post-national hybridity and global modern identity inspired Al-Kasimi to lead the foundation and the biennial in new directions. On the 30th anniversary of this biennial, we sit down with Hur Al-Kasimi to talk about the inclusive ethos that we find in the art experience of thinking historically in the present. So this plot of land that you're standing on is actually my father's inheritance. And he was not very happy with all the towers that are coming around. And he said, I want it to be a place for play. And if you come a little later, uh, you'll see children play here all the time. So this um, idea of building it at this scale was also to protect this area away from the towers that are around. So there are all these subtleties that um, we know because we've grown up with the space. You've lived in the spaces and around the spaces that this biennial is taking place. Tell me how that feels. I feel it's a moment of gratitude and realizing that I was so lucky that I made the right decision to take over the biennial 20 years ago. I grew up with the biennial. It started when I was 13. Uh, and it was always part of my life as an artist and as a visitor. And I feel like, of course, Okwe's Biennial made me want to come back and be part of something that's here. At the time I took over the Biennial, I hadn't witnessed other Biennials, except for Okwe's Documenta 11. So it just makes me realize that I made the right decision in doing what I'm doing. I know you 
are an artist. Yeah. What was the spark? I bet you don't get asked that a lot because you're the curator. When did you realize you were an artist that you wanted to make that like central to your yourself? Oh, it was maybe a little complicated. I mean, we all attended art class, did uh, after school painting and A-levels in art and uh, the British exams in school to qualify to have the degree in art. But I actually wanted to be a chef then a furniture designer, then an architect. And it was my art teacher in school who was nervous, thinking I might end up building towers, and said, no, you're an artist. I mean, you live in the art room. I had my own keys to the art room in school. And then I realized that being an artist and going to art school, it gave me the opportunity to be able to create so much, bring in many worlds together through food, art, architecture, film. But I always say that this is my art. This is a creative enterprise. What made you choose to take responsibility for cultivating a dynamic environment around art? The Emirate of Sharjah is part of a bigger country, the UAE. So my father is ruler of Sharjah, but we're never raised as the children of the ruler. We were just raised to work. I used to have a part-time job teaching drawing after school in one of the venues that you see next door, Beta Sarkal, when I was 15. So for us, it was not about having responsibility because it was forced upon us. It was the opposite. My father always said, I don't want to force you to do anything you don't want. Go, travel, study. Education was the most important thing for both my parents. They pushed us hard in, in terms of going to university and studying abroad. But it was this instinct that I wanted to do something. The museum opened in 95 and 97. I was studying in London. I brought in an exhibition of 21 British artists working in new media because I thought it would be interesting to see something around new media. So that was my first experience in co-curating. That's beautiful. I think we should comment on the sound of the percussion we hear yes, in the background. I'm sorry. What are we hearing? No, it's fine. I'm just going to mention it so yes. people expect to hear it. So this is a workshop that's taking place. It's one of the projects around the biennial. One of the new commissions is a project by Hassan Hajjaj, who's a Moroccan artist. For the biennial, he's worked on a, a documentary film about the history of Ghnawa, which is a traditional music in Morocco, and the history of Capoeira, and how both of them have a root in slavery and are now more part of the popular culture and how we could look at this thinking historically in the present. So we have some workshops taking place right outside the window, as you can see in the square. The ambient sound is part of the story. Let's talk about the lodestar for your curatorial consciousness, Okui and Wezar. It's very emotional for me because I started this project with Okui, so that I have to thank Okui for this title, Thinking Historically in the Present. I always refer back to the whole title and the keywords that he left for me. For me, Okui was, it was a surprise. I didn't know him when I went to see Documenta 11. I was 22. But I thought there's something unique in this model and this exhibition. But why is it in Germany? Why do you have to be privileged enough to go to Germany to see it? It's not that I wanted to create something new in Sharjah. I just thought we have a biennial. Why isn't it? more along these lines. Why are we looking at country representation when it's more complicated than that? You know, are we looking at borders? I kept wanting to change things. And in the back of my mind, um, I always referred to everything that I saw at Documenta 11. And Okwe became a great supporter of ours. He 
very much encouraged me not to give up. Even when we faced some issues and moments, he was there always to support us and what we do. And he said he believed in how we turned the biennial into an institution. And this is also what I'm trying to show here, you know, that the biennial is not disconnected from what we do as a foundation. And that was really important for me to incorporate all the programs and spaces and projects and towns that we work in. I know that his presence was felt all week for me, everywhere I went. I mean, we didn't have to say it out loud, but I felt it. And I think that the homage to him is not just in the beautiful installation that Carrie Mae Weems created on the square, but it's in each project. And as I've been talking to the different artists, it resonates with every person I've spoken with. I'm happy to hear that. It was very much a weight on my shoulders because a lot of people expected me to just curate Oakley's exhibition. And I didn't feel like it was my place to do that. And it wasn't my voice to do that. I'm inspired by Okui. I want to honor him and honor his legacy. But I'm also my own person. I'm a woman. And coming from a different point of view and perspective. And I really wanted to bring that across as well. It's been described as pluricentric and polyphonic. You have a Maori language. You have artists working in French and Arabic and uh, Hindi, Urdu, different languages of Indian communities as well, and Project Apotness's work. There are many. I haven't really listed them. It's definitely polyphonic. In certain situations at the clinic, yeah. Al-Daid clinic, every space I moved to was a different language. And I just was struck by going around the world in a way in one building. I like hearing people's perspective of what they've seen, because for me, this is also part of the process to understand the reaction, see it clearly in my head, and I've made it possible what was in my head. <laughs> but the reaction is also what is really important for me. Let's talk about some of the pluricentric part, the fact that it's not just in one place. The venues are part of the urban fabric of Sharjah and beyond, We've been on a bus. We've been getting out there. I think one of the venues is an hour and a half at least from here. Let's introduce some of the venues that have become part of the experience for us. I have a bit of a reputation of saving old buildings. As I win some and lose some, but I've got a good winning record, so I'm happy with that. People reach out to me to take over the buildings. For example, the clinic, they needed to move and they were worried that their building would be destroyed. So they reached out to me to take over yeah. and to save their big, wonderful tree that's up front. We have about seven art centers throughout the Emirate of Sharjah. We have a few more coming up in all the little towns and villages. So it's really important for me that it's not about the center, you know, decenter from the West, but also decenter from the city center. When I grew up, you would have the main event in Sharjah City and then something smaller on the East Coast, something smaller in the towns or a farmland. And for me, I felt that was a disservice to many members of the communities. And why can't it be equal? And I was getting frustrated with people calling spaces off-sites. I actually asked them to stop using the word off-site in the office and have 
each site is as important and also have many artists in each location because a lot of people, especially visitors who just fly in and out, would say, oh, it's two hours away, I'm not going to go there. And if they see it doesn't have a huge presence in the exhibition, people would miss it. But I made sure that every town had a big presence. So we're in five towns or cities in the Emirate of Sharjah. What's important for me is that the biennial isn't for the crowd that flies in and out. It's really for the people who are here long term. The biennial just opened. We have many performances that are coming up. They'll only take place in May. And we'll have the March meeting and other performances in March and some music performances in April. So... I'm trying to embed it a lot into the community and Ramadan, have something connected to Ramadan so that it's not about being closed early, but maybe having late nights. It's important to think of the context of where you are when you plan something like this. And also it's great that people end up seeing the country and the Emirate of Sharjah and how diverse it is in its landscape as well. That's been really important for me. I mean, climbing the dune the night of the dinner in the desert... I kind of wrecked my shoes. But I was taught by a local Saeed from the performing arts school how to walk up a dune. Your toes first going up and your heels first going down. Okay. I did not know that until two nights ago. I did not know that until oh. today. <laughs> ah. I'm happy to share my knowledge with Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. What do you consider is the most non-traditional feature of this biennial? I'm not sure. I mean, I was really wanted to include photojournalism in the biennial because I thought this was a, a reality that has a resonance with what is happening around us and it shouldn't be separated or ignored. And also having a dance and choreography. You know, we had the dance performance by Rashid Headley and Sinania and Academy for Performing Arts. We're working on a lot of audio programs. One of the buildings that I've saved from demolition is an old radio station. Right now we've been using it as our carpentry. <laughs> the conversation with the topics and the mediums can infiltrate different communities and parts of society. For example, we're working very closely with the Academy for Performing Arts. We have a lot of closed sessions with the artists and students at the university. You have an artist in the exhibition, Maya Kosia. Yeah. I met her when I was in residence in Trinidad. She looks like she may be the youngest artist in this exhibition. <laughs> We have a lot of young artists in the exhibition, for sure. I know uh, Maya because of her previous film. When I was doing research on Trinidad and Boule, and I saw the film, and I looked at the credits, and I saw her name. And I reached out to her, and I said, Maya, is this your film? Can I get more information about this? I'm interested to know more about this work. And she asked if she could redo it. I really wanted to show it, because I thought it was just such a powerful story. So we did a re-edit and installation for this exhibition. I think it's very well achieved. I saw it yesterday. That was a good challenge for her. Yes, I'm very proud of her, very happy. And I think, you know, biennial is a moment to push and experiment and try things. And my job as a curator is to really support them and try to help them make it happen. Yes, like Kamboi, for example, making blue sand for his installation in the Flying Saucer. I heard that he went through a lot of sand to find a blue sand that wouldn't just poof 
up on yeah, everybody. Through a lot of blue sand and stained a lot of things in blue, including a cat that ran through the sand. So I, I give him a hard time about that blue dye, but it's such a stunning installation. Yeah, he fell in love with the space and I said, well, you know, if you're going to use the space, I'm going to put down some conditions because for me, sight and work have to work so well together. And he said, I promise I won't let the flying saucer down. It's perfect for it. Let's give the history of that building we're calling the Flying Saucer. Well, the Flying Saucer was a building we all grew up with in the 70s. It was first a French bakery that later became a supermarket and then changed hands to another supermarket co-op and then became a fast food grilled chicken uh, chain. I took it over in 2012, I I believe, and I didn't have the... um, money to do anything with it or the time or the energy and the fast food chicken restaurant wasn't ready to move to their new location so I said okay you can stay there we could do with the rent and we could use it also to help with the renovation as much as possible so they stayed another two years and then 2015 and Unji's biennial and artist Hassan Khan did an intervention there And after that, I really wanted to do a renovation to bring out the brutalist qualities of the building. So we did the first renovation. And I had a lot of the local people in the neighborhood sending me messages on Instagram saying, oh, you should open up a coffee shop there. I I really did not want to divide that beautiful space that we opened up. And then I remember someone saying that there was a downstairs basement. I said, perhaps we can go underground but creating an internal courtyard that would bring in light so you wouldn't feel like you're underground. And now we have that open piazza on top, the square, which was where we used to park. So we did a second renovation. We had some delays because we're next to a a petrol station, but we ended up opening it um, 2020, I think, I believe, the second renovation. And it was shortlisted for the Aga Khan Award as well. I understand I should go back at night to see the paintings because there's so much glass during the day. Yes, of course. And at night as well, Tahila's films will be showing downstairs. So the downstairs is a social space. And I thought it'd be great to have the VR works there because it's a space where people can show you how to use it. People are coming in to study or have coffee. And at the same time, the exhibition isn't only limited to the upstairs I think it's brilliant. I love that space. I'm thinking back to the first biennial you curated in 2003, where you stepped away from the national pavilions, as in the Venice Biennale, and a central venue like Iberapuera Park for the Biennale de Sao Paulo. What motivated that move? I actually co-curated that biennial with a colleague, Peter Lewis, and also his partner, Makiko Nagoya, and many other artists who helped me. Because I came into this as an artist wanting to change things, but I was 22 and I wasn't confident. So I really needed the support of a lot of people to help me make my ideas come true in a way. And I, I for me, the Expo Center was a place of trade. So I was getting frustrated with a jewelry exhibition happening next door and then having to go through turnstiles to enter. And I grew up in this area. So I thought, this is the arts area. This should take place here. I love that because it would be a totally different tone if you were going through a turnstile or into a place of commerce, except the one place of commerce you've adopted this year is the fruit market. 
So that's another building that was going to be demolished for a flyover <laughs> to ease the Sharjah Dubai traffic. But my uh, twin brother and I, my twin brother passed away in 2019, but both of us were trying to save that building. And together we had started the um, Sharjah Architecture Triennial. I fought hard for it, but after my brother's passing, I want to use the vegetable market because I feel like I would like to bring a new life to it. There are two projects in particular with performative elements that are in that market that I experienced both yesterday. And I've known Jawari Minaya, but I had not seen a performance. And I loved every minute of it. She did a conversation around the fruit of the mango. Yeah, when I was looking at her portfolio, we discussed a few projects. I was interested in Lapiti, some of the photographs and prints that she has. And I also read about this performance and I asked her if she'd recorded it and she said she hadn't. And I said, it makes sense to have this in the vegetable market. But I also want to create this journey, you know, to have this wing of the market where you are embedded in her work. But at the same time, I really was interested in the wallpaper with the QR codes. And I thought, okay, those are going in our social spaces in the other towns. So you could see some artists have their work spread out. She agreed to do the performance and she said, I haven't filmed it. And I'd also, it's a project that I'm interested in doing again. Everybody was on the edge of their seats. No one expected to eat mango at the end. <laughs> and on the other end of things, the search for power that Tanya Elkuri and her partner brought to us last night was so touching. It was like a love story and a story of intrigue, trying to trace the history of why the electricity didn't work at their wedding. That was such a strong piece. For me, I thought it was really important because, you know, we have a lot of resonance also with Lebanon and what was happening. When I spoke to Tanya, I was interested in both the projects, the search for power and cultural exchange and trying to figure out where it would work. And of course, the market makes sense. But how do we have that project continue beyond the performance? So you, there is an audio element that you can also interact with. Let's trace a few of the themes, nationhood, tradition, race. There's creolization, Shiraz Baiju. What drew you to that one? Well, I've known Shiraz for a little while. He was actually in the last biennial, but his work was shown in Hamriya, the town we were in yesterday. And I really wanted to show his work in the house, by the sea, by the Dows, and really put into a context. And I was interested in Search for Libertalia, the project that he's been working on and developing. I wanted it site-specific. So for me, it was really important to have voices of artists that can connect to the region as well. Uh, We're part of a shared history of the Indian Ocean, where we were in Khorfakan, where the courthouse is. That's the Indian Ocean there. And... Our history goes way back to Zanzibar and all the Indian Ocean Island archipelagos. And then I'm thinking of the environmental issues that are addressed in the film of God's Mud and Men. Ali Sherry's work. Again, I've known Ali for a while, and I knew that he was filming in Sudan because he was there during the revolution and when everything was happening. And he was in residence at the National Gallery in London. And I went to speak with him and I said, I'm really interested in showing your work from Sudan here because it's a huge Sudanese community in the UAE and our connections with Sudan go way back. So this is also really important for me when I think of works and projects and to have it in the farmland area as well. 
a place where it's about irrigation. And he said to me, oh, it's going to be premiered in another place. And I said, well, it doesn't matter for me. And it's not about a premiere. That's why you can see some really old works that I've brought back for this biennial, because I think if the work has a resonance and it makes sense, it needs to be done again or repeated or shown in a different context. And for me, it was important to show this here and a place where it's in our language as well. What is your emotional experience of the biennial so far? I mean, it's beautiful seeing it come to life. I am very moved by people's reactions. It's very upsetting that it's happening at the time when you know, the earthquake in Turkey and Syria is devastating. So we have to keep reminding ourselves and everybody that it's not a celebration. It's actually a moment of coming together to really think about what is happening around us, the injustices that we're suffering. This is a history of 30 years. And each work that you spend time with brought people to tears and made people think and feel. So far, I'm feeling very grateful to be able to create this experience. So thank you all for being here. It's so lovely to see so many friends and family here, uh, many new faces in China for the first time. And I hope um, there'll be many more of you collaborating and being friends in the future. Uh, this is such a great opportunity after a very tiresome couple of years. One thing I want to say about this biennial, it doesn't have a beginning and an end. It doesn't have a, a direct route, um, as uh, one of the Oquis keywords would be, a circularity. There is a circularity in this biennial. I'm interested in the different viewpoints that people get. It's really important that the biennial comes um, full circle, it gives you many experiences, but in the same way comes with the same message of power and solidarity and strength and friendship. Thank you very much. I'm Kathy Bird. This is the Fresh Art International podcast. Our conversation with Hur Al-Kasimi explores some of the issues, ideas, and intentions informing Sharjah Biennial 15. Back in the United States, half a world away from the experience of this polyphonic, decentralized, transnational exhibition, I find myself thinking historically in the present. In their work, the curator and the artists she selected invite us to consider that rupture, dislocation, and uncertainty are opportunities for growth and renewal. If you like what you're hearing, please take a few minutes to rate and subscribe to our podcast. The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, Emily Hall Tremaine Foundation, Locust Projects, and the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, and listeners like you, make Fresh Art International possible. When you visit our site, you'll find other episodes about art and culture from around the globe. While you're there, sign up for our news and give a donation to support these stories. Stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.